What's up, everybody? We're back with another episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Editor Brian Wagner, and this week we have Nero Dewala on the show. Nero, what's going on? Oh, same old, same old. We just got back from Maryland, uh, where it was super cold, you know, racing import versus domestic. Did you put heat in your engine today? <laughs> we put heat in every <laughs> every run, every uh, in-between. We fired it up in the pits quite often. Yes, there was lots of heat. I've had, I had so many people messaging me about that. They're like, what does that mean? I'm like, just look, can we not talk about it? Can we just, can we not? I'm, I'm traumatized forever. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I, I honestly, I can say that's the, one of the coldest events that I've been to in a while. And uh, it definitely, when you're racing in that cold of temperatures, it puts a fun little spin on things, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's, I mean, obviously it was for a lot of people hard to get down the track. I mean, you know, it, the temperatures are way below what they, you know, ideal, you know, run conditions. So um, it's just kind of the gamble you take when you have that event, you know, the first weekend of November, you know, it's right on the edge when the weather starts to change up there. And so either you get that one week where it's really, really nice, maybe 60s and 70s sometimes, um, or you could get it where it's literally like, you know freezing which at some point in time i think during the day it was freezing because all of our cars had ice covered all over the windshields uh when we would come out of the hotel i actually had to cancel a photo shoot because of the frost and ice on a car that the guy couldn't keep it in his trailer so we ended up not being able to do the photo shoot because we couldn't get uh get out in time where there you know the track wasn't hot and his car didn't you know look like it was from you know central michigan yep and I've been to that event multiple times. Like you said, it, it could be hit or miss, but that is the coldest that it's ever been there. But the weird thing was like that evil dew point never really crept in. It just, it just got cold. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it started cold and it ended really cold. <laughs> and the thing was Monday, I walked out of my hotel in shorts and a t-shirt and was perfectly comfortable. I'm like, where, where were you about three or four days ago? Exactly. Well, I mean, I got to give Jason Miller props. You know, he did change the schedule around on Thursday to be able to um, test or cancel the testing so we could get all, at least that qualifier in for the day. Um, and he was able to get the event finished by, you know, hopefully a little bit after sunset. So it wasn't super frigid and it wasn't dangerous where, you know, we could have a lot more issues. So, oh, yeah. uh, I mean, he did a phenomenal job adjusting to the weather conditions. Yeah. He, he did a brilliant job race managing that for the conditions and keeping everybody safe and, and getting things done. But uh, unfortunately like that event, it's a lot like super street car nationals in Vegas. People just blow stuff up. I mean, that's <laughs> like, it's those two events I've been to both. And it's like, for some reason, it's like, there's, there's an internal clock on some people's gear that like, Oh, it's time this event. I'm just going to scatter myself for no good reason. Yep. Yep. People are always going personal bests and, you know, pushing the envelope. So um, so what makes that event extremely interesting? Duty cycle. That's the, the phrase people need to remember. All of your parts have a duty cycle and you don't want to exceed that duty cycle because when you do, it never ends well ever. Yep. Now, it's interesting, the, the, the import racing world and how all that works and kind of the, the way that it, it, it exploded in our, in front of us here in the United States, you know, back what late nineties or so 
kind of, you know, to kick things off here, what got you into cars and racing? Because this is not a normal hobby or business for any sane individual. No, I mean, like, uh, I didn't ever want to be in this industry, actually. Um, it's funny because, I mean, I've been into cars, was really into tweaking my own stuff. Um, I was big, big into car audio in, like, high school and uh, tried to be very, like, you know, uh, involved myself. Did, did a lot of the installation stuff myself. And then um, that fell into, uh, I bought, ended up getting a Toyota Supra in the late 90s, um, I think 97. And before you know it, I'm hanging out at the, you know, corner where all the guys do, which sometimes is Best Buy or used to be Circuit City. And uh, I get invited to go out to the street races. And so um, I'm sitting here thinking this is like an invitation to get jacked, you know, like, like what the hell is this guy talking about? But uh, I don't know. The curiosity got to me and I, uh, I, I followed along and stayed in the car and I was like, oh, my God, this shit's like out of a movie. And uh, oh, sorry about the cursing, but oh, um, got into and got into it um, and, and was just hooked. Honestly, like I got beat early on quite a bit because I didn't have any idea of how to launch the car, how to drive the car, to shift it at red line. Um, none of that was ever taught to me. I've never read any of it. And so I would get beat. So my, my personality is, you know, to be competitive all the time. And so I started learning, you know, how to launch the car, how to drive the car. And one of the things also I knew like, Hey, my driving skills, not there yet, but I can buy parts and mod this thing and make power. So I would overcome the deficiency of being, not being able to drive great early on by just making huge horsepower. And uh, before you know it, you know, the two started to mesh together where, you know, I started learning, you know, what tire pressures to run and what tires to use and all this stuff. I mean, it's, it's funny because you can read about it now all online. You can ask questions on Facebook groups. You know, none of that was out there. It was, you're hanging out on the street corner with your import car, talking to a guy with a Camaro or a Mustang, you know, and they're just sitting here going, we don't know what the hell you're doing, you know? So it, uh, it basically evolved just by having to learn a lot of it on your own. And then um, we continue to teach a lot of people, a lot of customers, you know, what we had found actually works for the platform. It's funny. People seem to forget, you know, back in that, that we'll call it the modern first modern street racing boom back in the, you know, the, that, that pair of the nineties, you know, how borderline sketchy it really was. And it was also comically, entertaining how slow the cars were back then compared to they are now but we thought we were just super fast where nowadays you know uh, a mustang was making about as much as a toyota camry makes these days it's it's crazy how far we've come right yeah oh yeah i mean like back then like a 12 second car was fast you know like i say it to my guys in the office here my wife's minivan will run that (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it's hard to wrap your mind around the fact that there are SUVs that are faster than Corvettes were in the 1990s. That's insane to me. It's kind of funny. You get in that scene, you start hanging out with people and it just kind of, uh, it starts progressing. And, you know, you you find a lot that you get the audio guys that got into racing and you just, you get hooked. What was it? The thing that really hooked you about the, the motorsport side of things? Uh, I mean, initially, like, you know, I mean, I just love to win. You know, I think everybody does. But um, I have uh, 
just a big drive to continue to try to keep pushing and keep figuring it out. And I always want to figure out something that somebody else hasn't already. Um, so that really pushed things along early on, even street racing days. And then um, before you know it, I am decided to build my car into like, you know, what was a pro pro drag radio or pro street um, tire back in the early 2000s for NHRA Sport Compact. So that project started getting going and uh, I had had all, all the parts and I already had a plan and um, it was just a matter of like executing that plan and putting the car on the track. Now, I didn't ever expect to be racing for a championship or anything else. I mean, I always dreamed of it. You know, it was always my goal, but um, I didn't know if I'd be able to afford to do it, if I'd be able to hit all the events across the country, you know, and so forth. And we made it happen. <laughs> it wasn't easy. I mean, you know, a lot of the um, other racers that are in the various areas, we'd over the, over that first year borrowed parts and ship parts, you know, to them to replace. Um, but uh, the community had come together really well and it was just a lot of fun. So we were able to continue keeping that program going the first year and then it snowballed. Racers are really awesome at making poor financial decisions and destroying their free time. That's like, that's a common trait we all have besides wanting to win. It's like, we hate time and money, right? Yep. Well, this because, so my wife isn't huge into cars, but you know, we took the car to Australia and so all the way across the globe and the event actually ended up raining out. And she goes, okay, so it's the makeup tomorrow. And I'm like, no, it's not that kind of event. And she's like, wait a minute. You're telling me you flew 24 hours. You shipped your car there to go to a race, to not end up racing, to fly back. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, and you think that's fun? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> right. You know, it, it, that kind of parlays into, you know, something else I was interested in, you know, I remember far back, you know, seeing Titan Motorsports back in the day, you know, first getting into cars in general is a huge name in the import racing scene. Uh, how did you decide to, to start Titan Motorsports? Was it was, was it a, a necessary evil to feed the hobby or was it a business opportunity that you saw? So it's funny because I never wanted to be in the parts industry. I, you know, had been around it and I felt like it wasn't a great business to be in. Um, I really was focusing on wanting to be like in e-commerce, um, more like as an e-commerce developer, like a computer programmer. And um, I'm talking to one of my friends who owned a shop and I go, you need to get online. I'll make the website for you. You know, I was kind of pitching myself to do, be the IT admin, you know, get this business kind of going for him. He goes, why don't you just do that yourself and I'll help you and you sell the parts. So I said, okay, fine. I'll start selling these parts on the side pay for the race gas, pay for the truck payment so I can go to these races. And then I was, the whole plan was I'll do that on the side. I'll go get a job nine to five and I'll use my vacation time to hit, hit the events I want to hit mainly in the Southeast. And before you know it, um, because I was very involved in the Toyota super community from early on when I was just an enthusiast. So people would ask me questions all the time and I'd always answer them. And I knew the whole mod platform. And before you knew it, people were asking me, Hey, can you just sell me that? And for a long time, I was like, no, I don't sell that. Be called this guy, call this guy, call that guy. And it would happen. So um, before you know it, they were just calling me and uh, we were selling them the parts and it turned into a full-time gig very quickly. 
you you went from being the consumer to the dealer in a hurry, right? Yes. And, and, yeah. And, and it's funny. It, it all it always seems to work out that way, right? That's the problem. I'm still a big consumer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the uh, the 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 from the. Uh, spicy pharmaceutical trade that we have learned that lesson is that you don't want to be the consumer as well as a salesperson because you end up wasting all of your profits on things that seem like a good idea at the time. And that's that seems to be our, our big uh, issue in the racing industry. What's it been like kind of, you know, being the, the captain of the Titan ship and, you know, kind of carrying the flag for an entire community and beyond? Well, I mean, you know, it's a lot of pressure, uh, you know, in some ways. Um, but it's a lot of fun too. Um, you know, a lot of people always expect us to win and, you know, in racing, anything can happen. So, um, quite often I got to say losing, especially even with a copper Supra is actually not that bad. I mean, yeah, nobody wants to lose, but like some of the people who've won have been so elated just to have been able to line up and, and beat that car or even race that car. It, it's pretty cool to see, you know, that people, um, you know, hold our brand in, the, in that high regards. Uh, so that that's been a lot of fun. I mean, you know, continuing to push with manufacturers and vendors, the sport compact and the fact that, you know, it's a sport that, you know, is here um, early on was difficult. Like a lot of people didn't really want to make, you know, sport compact parts. They didn't necessarily want to stock sport compact carts, parts, but um, you've seen like companies like CP Pistons, you know, Carrillo, Manly Rods, um, Brian Crower. A lot of these companies have now a very heavy focus in that sport compact turbocharged market um, and, and it's done very well for them. So I think early on giving some of those manufacturers a push um, to, to pursue our marketplace, which would support, you know, all the individuals, um, was a pretty big deal. You know, it was, it was quite a, quite interesting because people would fly in to visit us and ask us questions, um, to see if the, it was even worth getting into the marketplace, you know. On that note, we're going to take a quick break because you've very nicely set the stage for a really cool question I want to ask. So we're going to take a quick break here on the Dragazine podcast. We'll be right back. Manly dual drag series valve springs provide the low capabilities of triple springs with a reduced size and mass of dual springs. This provides improved valve train control and a higher RPM potential. An additional benefit over triple springs is the reduced friction, which greatly reduces load loss, while a multi-step surface enhancement improves fatigue strength. Check them out at manlyperformance.com. We're back here on the Dragzine podcast with Nero from Titan and Nero, you, you kind of talked about the the issues almost you ran into first starting in the import industry. And I think it's interesting because at the same time, I want to know what was it like to being a part, such a big part of like the import racing history over the years? You know, you talked about the the Copper Supra and, you know, that, that car is its own legend and kind of being that, the, that part of history. Is it something you even thought about or has it just been kind of one wild ride. No, I mean, it's been a wild ride for sure. You know, it's not something I thought about, you know, it was never my goal to, to have, you know, built a brand like we have and have iconic cars. Um, it was, you know, purely I just wanted the car to look good. I wanted it to perform well. You know, of course, everybody wants to have a car that 
you know, looks unique and is photographed. Um, but it was, it was purely just, uh, out of personal enjoyment, you know, um, the whole point of starting Titan Motorsports and selling the parts was to pay for that race gas, pay for the truck, pay to be able to go to events. So, you know, it was never supposed to make any money. It was just supposed to feed the hobby. So, um, I mean, we still continue on with that mantra and, uh, of course it's, it's grown and it's gotten sometimes out of control, but, um, we still really enjoy, you know, the core of it, which is just being out there with the fans, the racers and, and, and going, uh, you know, toe to toe with some of the best guys in the world. I remember seeing that car with the ADRL and that was, that was wild because my dad had never been around really fast imports. And the first time that car spooled up, that was, that was different. That was an experience because I'd never been around an import that was that rowdy, but we were both just kind of taken aback. Like, all right, that's uh, that's got a little bit of rip to it. Is that something that you guys were kind of, you know, a, a similar thing you saw kind of bridging that gap over the years? Yeah. You know, so like we, we initially, when we went like when it was pro rear drive and the sport compact days, um, we decided to build, you know, chassis cars, versus like three quarter cars um, because we would in the future have like possibly more flexibility to go race with like some of the domestics or whatever. And I felt just in general, the rear wheel drive platform, um, there was a lot more racing that could be possible with that platform versus the front wheel drive. Um, So we, I want to say we went to one of our first ADRL events um, in the 10 and a half extreme class and, uh, with Brad Personette, and we actually won that event. And I remember it was uh, the w- one of the uh, publishers had been like, why don't you ever do this? And so I looked at it, I was like, uh, okay, well, let's go. We went and we ended up winning, you know, at like 2 a.m. And that just started the bug all over again. It's like, okay, we can race here with these guys and be competitive. And so we have to, you know, an open rule book as far as like we can run pretty much any power plant, any turbo size car, any weight. So we knew we could get the car hopefully as light as possible. Um, and so we, we just continued to pursue it and, uh, you know, it snowballed to a point where, you know, it, it was becoming a big thing as ADRL as that series even grew. Yeah. The, the ADRL, when it first came around, like if you weren't there, you didn't understand how insane those events were. And like, just the, the sheer level of, I, I don't know if there's a word to describe just the, the machismo and horsepower and everything on, that was on display because there were no, like, I don't even know how to put this, tame cars. You know, even that Outlaw 10-5 class, I remember seeing, you know, you, you'd see a pro mod run in a pro extreme, and then you'd see basically what looked like the exact same car on a little tiny set of tires, so it, it took a lot to be competitive in that area, right? Yeah. I mean, I never, until we went to that first race, I didn't even know if we could be really competitive. You know, we'd never run um, any good ETs on that tire, had really had no, no idea where we would land. And, um, you know, it started, it started, obviously it worked out pretty well and we've, we've won a lot of ADRL events. And, it, and like I said, it snowballed. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that series grew and like you said, it developed, I mean, um, into a whole nother beast as the power plants continued to start making bigger and bigger horsepower. 
And, you know, the, the, you know, you talked about running the NHRA, you know, sport compact series, kind of talk about what it was like being, a, again, it's, it's like pioneer days, man. That's like, you know, it's like the, the Don Garlitz, Connie Coletta kind of deal where you were one of the first people that was kind of on that train. Like they were back in the day with, uh, with nitro cars, you guys did it with imports kind of talk about what that was like. Well, it's pretty funny because when you're actually doing it, we, I looked at other people that way. Um, you know, people like Steph Papadakis and uh, Ron Bergenholz, um, R.R. Slaney, and, you know, these guys, um, you know, the whole bullish racing team, like these guys were just on a whole nother level, I mean, you know, just way up there, you know, in my mind, you know, Craig Paisley. Um, and I was like, uh, the, these guys are huge, you know, like I could never race like, in a class like they race, you know, they've been doing this for so long and at such a high level. Um, so it's pretty funny, you know, like a lot of those guys, once you get to know them, we're all, you know, just, just like all the other racers, very helpful. You know, they would give you pointers and tips if you asked and, um, they, they help, you know, pave the way for us to become a bigger, you know, entity in racing. Now, you know, the, the Copper Super, again, like I said, the, the, there's very few cars you can use the word iconic with. And I honestly think that's one of them. Just like when I when people say Supra, it's like that's one of the cars that comes to mind for me personally. Either that or, a, you know, a, a Silver Super, just because it seems like so many of the fast ones are silver. It's like Silver One or the Titan car. What was it like for you? Like, when did you know you've like made it with that car? When it was like, all right, we've really got something special here. So, you know, when BF Goodrich wanted to do a poster of the car and they, you know, we had been thinking of changing the color at some point and they said, have you thought about changing the color? Because, you know, they knew as a black car, it may not photograph well, as well as like something bright and vibrant. And, you know, we said, yeah, we actually have. And so um, that basically snowballed into we completely painted changed the color of the car and graphic it up um like you see it you know now and we you know put it on the bf goodrich photo uh, poster which now if you go on ebay or anywhere else you can't even find or buy anywhere and uh that was probably a big stepping stone when they were literally giving those out at every car event and people were waiting in line to get those posters and people were sending me pictures that they had hung them up in their garage or framed them that that's when, um, yeah, it, it became a big deal. I felt in, in my mind, I mean, it was a huge, huge uh, leap forward. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you look at it this way. It's like the, I put that on the same levels, you know, Ron Fisher with that uh, Chevelle that did the big wheel stand on the Flowmaster poster. You know, yep. it's one of those deals where your vehicle influenced an entire generation of enthusiasts, literally. And I think that that's something that some people might, it might get lost on some of us that, you know, don't necessarily partake in that end of things that like how important it is to be able to kind of create a brand like that and be able to perform and take it forward. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine what it'd be like to, you know, know, growing up, you know, people got pictures of Lamborghini Countaches and you see someone, a friend's picture. It's like, Oh wow. That, yeah, that's my car on your bedroom wall. Huh? Well, that's kind of how it was. And, you know, I mean, people still come in and come to us at the races and tell us like how big of a deal it was 
um, watching us like, you know, in uh, Turbo Magazine and watching the updates and seeing the racing um, that we were doing when they were younger, you know. So um, it definitely helped, like you said, push that next generation into more sport compact turbocharging. And I think it definitely helped grow the, the industry overall. And I think with with that, it, it also, with what you guys did and others, I think it also gave a certain level of legitimacy to like hardcore import racing because the running joke for a while is, oh, it's a bunch of front wheel drive Honda guys that just, you know, make noise and can't do anything. But then it's like, oh, well, you know, what's the super stuff all about? Or, you know, you know these fast, you know, two wheel drive cars, all this, you know, rear wheel drive cars and all of a sudden that kind of started breaking some hearts. Right. And that, that had to be kind of fun to be a part of that movement as well. That was, I mean, you know, it was ultra competitive, you know, we, I felt it was unique because nobody else was willing to take that big of a gamble, maybe, maybe that big of a risk because, you know, like we literally are racing against some of the best guys out there, you know, and uh, it's still even the, some of the best outlaws still today, you know, race data ADRL. So it, it was, it's, it was pretty tough, you know, um, racing, but uh, we decided to kind of do it. And, you know, we did feel like, okay, Hey, we could represent the imports here, you know, while everybody else was domestic to show what the capability of that platform was and what it could be even going forward. It's funny, the last couple of years, you know, you guys got into, you know, the, the more the outlaw radio racing. And I will, I, I, we talked about this World Cup. I will never forget. I literally laughed out loud when I saw people, when, when Duck posted, oh, this car's coming to, you know, it was like lights out or something like, oh, it's just some, some import. I'm like, Oh, oh, child, you have no idea what's coming your way. Like, I'm watching, you know, the car at TX2K. Like, I saw you guys prepping there. I'm like, I see exactly what they're doing. They're getting the data they need to go to Ducks Race. What was it like to walk into that world where it's even a little bit, you know, it could be a rough crowd. And you guys walked in there and kind of, you got some people shook in a hurry. So, like, it's pretty funny because, yeah, I mean, definitely with the X275 crowd, a lot of people didn't know anything about who we were. Nobody felt like we should even be qualifying in the top 16. Um, there was like, that's just one of another 80 guys who are not going to make the field, you know? So, um, so it was pretty cool. You know, we did see some people, especially racing in the higher ranks that uh, we'd race with at ADRL and so forth. And they were like, they would say the exact same thing you did. They're like, these guys just have no idea. They're like, they're going to burn you down. And they think you don't, you know, you can't get the turbocharge to spool up and all this stuff. They're going to try playing the games. And he goes, but you guys have done it for so many years. Everybody's tried those same things. So we've, you know, improved the combination so that we wouldn't obviously just give you an easy win. Um, and then I got to say, when we qualified and many others didn't, you kind of could hear the rumblings. You could kind of feel it like we didn't deserve the spot type of thing. And, and my opinion was like, well, if we didn't deserve it, you should have bumped us out. <laughs> you know, like it, that's the way it goes. That's what I what I really like about drag racing is, you know, it's starting line to finish line. And it's it's just it's the math, right? Like you run the best ET and that's part of qualifying. And, you know, you run the best ET and you leave, you know, on time. And that's how you win races. You know, it's not a judged event. It's not an opinion based event. It's. It, you know, it's, it's pure racing, you know, Score, it's pure. Scoreboards don't lie. Yep. Well, 
again, it, it comes down to like if you were somewhat of a drag racing nerd, you would look at the writing on the wall, you'd look at the rules and be like, I know these guys are going to come in and be tough because the way the rules are written, it's not necessarily a soft point, but it's something that no one had explored the combo that really knew what they were doing. There are guys that had tried to make the feel with like four G's, but they weren't, you know, built the same that, you know, they just, they didn't have the knowledge. And it was sort of like Ryan Milliken with his diesel. I'm like, y'all don't understand these people are smarter than what you think. They're going to be able to hit that rule book hard and give poor John Sears more gray hairs. You know, yeah. it's it, like, it's just like, and like looking at a small block Ford and being able to exploit maybe a loophole there. There was a spot on the rule book that that car fit in very well. And guess what? These guys knew what they were doing and they kind of, you know, made a lot of people look stupid. Yeah. You know, I got to say, I got to give credit to John Sears. I mean, he's dealing with, the most amount of combinations I think of pretty much any class that's racing, you know, at a high level. And um, he's done a phenomenal job of getting parity. Do I always like some of the rules that he changes? No, I don't, but me, you know, but um, he's, he's worked very hard to be impartial and keep parity. And um, even like last sweet 16 that we raced, it was a perfect example. We were lucky enough to qualify number two, um, you know, in eliminations, there were two or three other cars that were eating quicker than us round after round. And yet we were still be able to, you know, make it to the finals and end up winning against the number one qualifier. So if, if the race had been lopsided where, you know, teams had a huge advantage, we would have never been in that position. So, um, I feel like in any of the X275 races, really any of the top four or top eight could win at any time. And he's just got to have a good weekend. Yep. I mean, look at the guys with team white rice, what they were able to do with that car. They, they, they grinded and they did the same thing. That's on like a Ron Rhodes, the Bruder brothers, what Rob Goss do you guys did the time and put it in to figure it out. And that's where, you know, the fruits of the labor come in. It's the same thing, you know, like I use Ryan Milliken as an example, people laugh like, Oh, look at this goofy dude, bringing a, you know, a diesel car to X275. And when he, I, I will never forget when he started going really fast, all of a sudden people are like, oh, wait, wait a second. That's, that ain't right. And he just, he got it figured out. And now it's about gathering that data and understanding what you can extrapolate and go forward with it. You guys got it figured out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's every combination is completely different. Obviously the diesel is way different than, you know, any of the other uh, platforms, but yeah, like our turbocharged small engine package, you know, it's all about, you know, high RPM, getting, making sure you get boost, uh, you know, and, and a lot of it boils down to now, like just power management, you know, uh, run on the X275 tire, you know, I, we didn't know what to expect with that tire. Like we'd run drag radial, but it'd been the BFG drag radial 20 years ago. And everybody had said that this new drag radial that Mickey Thompson came out with was phenomenal. And uh, we put it on the car and I mean, it just worked, honestly. It, it, it was a lot simpler um, to figure out than we expected, probably because we just didn't expect the tire to be as good as it is. You know, um, we just been running slicks for so long and, you know, kn knew what to expect there. And a radio had never done what they're doing now. No, the engineers at Mickey Thompson probably after every major event are like, what, they did what? That, that's not possible. How did they do that? They should be able to do that. And 
you know, it's interesting too. And I think a lot of people don't seem to forget too, is you guys are doing all this with a clutch in that car too. So that's a completely, you know, another out of left field thing you don't see anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, our crew chief, Eric Lazinski, you know, he's always been a clutch guy. Um, we also know like, okay, Hey, we have a small engine. It does makes no, no low end torque. It's not going to easily get up on a converter. Um, you know, and we're going to give up power going through a turbo 400 or a glide um, and through a converter. So we're like the clutch, we can control a bit more, you know, with the transmission, we have, you know, some gearing changes we can make. Um, so it gives us a bit more flexibility. Yeah. It requires somebody maybe with a little bit more knowledge, obviously to do so, but we felt like the only way to be competitive was to have the manual transmission um, in the car it's interesting to watch how that car leaves and how hard it back halves. Like I couldn't imagine racing against that car. You're just putting along thinking, Oh, I got this. Then all of a sudden, you know, the orange choo-choo train just right in your peripheral vision and just drives right by like it's passing on the freeway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, you know, or I mean, turbo cars always mile an hour big, right? I mean, you can see it in pro mod and everywhere else. I mean, ET, they don't necessarily ET as well, but they always mile an hour big. So yeah, you, you, you may give up a little bit early, but you gain some on the other side of it. Yeah. It, it's that, uh, that, that top end charge that they have that if, uh, if you can see the turbo car early in the run, you're in a world of trouble already. <laughs> and you just might as well just hope something happens. Cause otherwise you're, you're not going to get around them. And it's, Again, it, it hats off to you guys for being able to make that combination work because I mean it's it's not easy at all. Look at the stick shift class, at, you know, at you know at the World Cup this year. You know, those guys, it was either hit or miss, but when they hit it, it was impressive to watch. Oh yeah, that's a wild. That's a very wild class too. That's really uh, you know picked up quite a bit. So um, yeah, I mean these guys are running huge turbochargers and manually shifting them you know h pattern roll, nonetheless h pattern yeah ro rolling the gears to to you know get these cars down the track i, I think my favorite one i i love adkins car but at the same time i love Steele's car just because every time he bangs a gear that thing is so violent with how it barks and it shoots flames it's it's a showstopper yeah i mean like yeah i mean all of them you know, the, the fact that some of these cars are going sick is just unbelievable, you know, with an age pattern. I mean, these, like, I can remember, it's not been very long, maybe a couple of years where, like, the six-second zone was, like, unattainable, you know. And now, yeah, you've got guys literally manually run, running. Well, four, four. You got that dude in the S10 truck with, you know, yeah. with a lot of very stockish parts. You know, that dude – does a massive wheel stand one hit still runs it out at almost 200. Then the next pass, the thing wheel hops so bad that there's like in a couple spots, I am not exaggerating. There's almost a foot between where the wheel lifted up and came back down where it's chattering the tires and it still went 200. I'm like, that thing's making some serious power to do that out the back. It's impressive. Yep. What, you know, kind of going off of that too, what was the most impressive thing that you saw at the World Cup this year that just blew your mind? I mean, definitely that transfer case breaking <laughs> at the beginning of the event online was uh, was one thing I would remember. Um, 
but let me see. I don't, I, you know, it, it's kind of a blur. I mean, honestly, I was out there talking to the fans quite a bit. Um, you know, it, it, I always notice that the domestic guys bring their A game. And so it's interesting to watch eliminations where those guys are just, you know, running, running round by round. You know, I feel like us import guys got to work on our consistency. Um, reliability. So that we, reliability. <laughs> I don't even know about reliable. I feel like a lot of the platforms are pretty reliable. I think, you know, we have to, with a, as a group, get together and run these cars in a certain window and get them consistent where they can um, all the time. But one of the most impressive runs, probably, I would say, Lucimar in, uh, is it the modified, I think it's the modified class, um, him setting his personal best, which, I mean, that car's already a rocket ship. So for him to um, improve on it multiple times was pretty impressive. Jose Gonzalez in that whatever little tiny red car it was, I think it's some type of Toyota, like to go from driving a big tire pro mod, which is, you know, well, of the two, it's the more stable, which is kind of terrifying in amongst itself. But (laughs) (laughs) we about it with him at the event, actually. Um, We talked about it quite a bit. And I was like, really surprised. I've known Jose for a long time, you know, and uh, obviously, um, you know, he's, he's a huge powerhouse, you know, in the outlaw racing and pro mod. I mean, anything that guy sets his mind to, I feel he could uh, win the championship. You know, I think if he had more time to actually go racing, you know, we'd all be in big, bigger and bigger trouble. But I, I mentioned to him, like, what, what got you into the two Jz? You know, short wheelbase car. I mean, it's the complete opposite of running these pro mods that he has. You know, where they're like you said, they're stable. You know, you know, full built cars from the ground up. Where you're, you're on the short wheelbase cars. You're working around the factory platform, which isn't obviously built to go sixes no. or any probably not even nines or tens and uh you know they, they're having to wheel them down the road so um or down the track so i he said it's totally different <laughs> he I, said it's, it's night and day different i think he kind of knew before he got into the car that it would be totally different but i think he's uh i think he still has the the love for pro mods more than anything else yeah pro, pro mods are just they're a terrifying animal in amongst themselves because it's just they're they're so violent and unruly. I never like standing at towards the starting line and taking pictures and, you know, crewing on cars. You'll see the, some of those like the trace quarter trace quarters cars. And, you know, some of the other ones get a little squirrely being at the top end and taking pictures. Um, I wonder if those dudes got to get fire suits for their balls too, because those things are just, they're moving around in ways that, honestly defy the laws of physics and they don't lift i mean those things will make a huge huge move and they're just in it to win it so i couldn't imagine going from a pro mod to basically a garbage can with a turbo on it essentially like size wise no i mean it's it's true i mean they're probably half the size of a pro mod i mean you know and they're going similar type of ets you know so it's 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 wild i mean it's it's a like you said i mean it's just just the package that the car has, the way the struts are, the short wheelbase, it's just it's just a crazy ride, you know, and you're just going to literally just slide it around. There's there's no, no, no nothing that makes it want to go straight. 
I saw one of those cars cross the scale without the driver and it weighed under 2000 pounds. Oh, I, uh, I'm like, like that's, so it's a dragster, but it's half the length, triple the power. And you know, it's got a manual transmission. Sign, sign me up. Sure. That'll be great. It's, it's more like a go-kart with, with a 2000 horsepower engine. Yeah. Yeah. With, with sticky tires. Well, we're going to take another quick break here on the Dragzine Podcast. When we've come back, we are going to finish things up with Nero here on the Dragzine Podcast. The new fast supercharger and cam power packages for Chevy LS and Chrysler Gen 3 Hemi engines are perfectly matched systems that combine a specially designed comp cams low shock technology camshaft with the proven performance of an Elderbrock TVS supercharger. Fast engineers work closely with comp and Elderbrock to eliminate the guesswork out of choosing the right cam for boosted applications. Visit FuelAirSpark.com for more information on these power packages. All right, we're back here with Nero from Titan. And, you know, you mentioned earlier the the, uh, the trip to Australia that didn't exactly go as planned. And, you know, you guys have raced all over the world in different places. And what are some of the cool places you've got to go race and some of the things that you've got to do thanks to racing? I mean, you know, we've been to Australia three times. Um, one of the best trips, actually, I, well, I want to recall, was the second time we went to Sydney, Australia, and I was able to, I think at the time, take my fiance, um, who's now my wife, um, there. And we were able to not only enjoy the race, you know, uh, be a part of the event, um, we were able to zip out and do, you know, vacation that is, is just still super memorable, probably one of the best trips we've ever um, had. So we would never have gone there if it wasn't for racing. So that was probably the, the highlights for sure. Australia is like on my big board list of places I want to go just to experience the car culture, because I guess the way the kids have put it this these days, they're extra down there. Like those dudes are like, they are there for horsepower in any format, any way they can. And they have cars that are completely different than what we hear in the States. I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome to see what they do there. I'm, I'm always impressed. Yeah. It's, it's, it's totally different, you know? Um, but I gotta say like all the guys there have the same affinity and love for cars like we do. Um, but yeah, it's a totally different scene and it's amazing at how many people are into motorsports there for how low the population is, you know? So like, there's the, the, the scene is huge, but you know, there's only 30 million people there. We have 10 times the amount of people in the U S yeah. And like their mantra down there is like two doors, four doors don't matter. We're sticking the biggest engine we can in this thing and putting a power adder on it. And if you don't like it, you know, go someplace else. I, I love that attitude. Yep. And you know, he said, just seeing the different builds. Cause we had some of the Australians come up for the, uh, for the 10k drag shootout and they you know did a turbo ls because you know that's what they wanted to do but the second time around they were going to do a uh, turbo barra based engine because again it's how it fell with the rules you know an inline six boosted application fell right in that sweet spot they probably would have just demolished everybody because those look up turbo barra on youtube listeners and viewers and just enjoy the insanity because you have basically what looks like a rear wheel drive 
Ford Taurus that's running like nines. It's amazing. Yep. And one of the other, um, it's crazy because, you know, now you think about it, like um, I actually had a trip that came from ADRL, had met KH, she called um, Alan Abi, and this was before anybody had any idea who he is. Um, and he was huge into, you know, the turbocharged, um, petrol motors. And so he told me, uh, at ADRL, he brought me in Australia. He goes, I'm building a racetrack. And I go, okay, cool. He goes in my home country. I'm like, okay, awesome. <laughs> you know, he's like, I want you to come. And I go, what do you mean? He goes for an inaugural race. I want you to come. And I said, okay, I'll go. And I don't think he thought I would actually go. And I'm sure he's asked a lot of people and they didn't end up going. Um, and I ended up going and it was um, such a good time. I mean, we went and we actually went and raced um, at multiple tracks. We went to Bahrain where I actually met Ibrahim uh, e Canoe. Um, and that's where we became um, friends and, you know, shared our passion for the Toyota Supras. And um, that kind of kickstarted a lot of what we did uh, in the early part of this decade. And we went to the hill climb in uh, Abu Dhabi, <laughs> and that is some wild shit. That that is unbelievable. I, I I worried all the way getting to the hills and back because I'm like, if we this car breaks down, we're 50 miles from any kind of civilization. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, what a you know experience that, and then obviously um, see the uh, track opening um in cutter so um that was a wild trip too yeah you know i, I could I've, I've heard some stories about what's gone on on some of those trips and again like e-canoe i just want to go hang out in that dude's garage like <laughs> i like i have a, him and i like we have the same mindset except he has piles of money to like come up and like make the bad ideas i have in my mind happen that's what i love about that guy yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, he gets an idea um, and he just runs with it, you know, and it's there's nothing else on his mind until the completion of that project. So it's pretty um, crazy to deal with him. Uh, you know, like you get he, he literally is like, Nero, I need this and it has to be overnighted. And I don't care how you figure it out. You do it. And I know, you know, as, as a shop owner, most people say that, but then the part never gets installed for months no with if the minute that part is there you know at his shop it's getting unboxed and put on the car i mean literally i don't even think it's delivered and i'm seeing pictures he's sending me of it installed like he is it's just until it, the, the whole project is complete each piece of it he wants to be a part of it and um he's got just you know a really good eye for detail and uh yeah, it's unbelievable. So, so we've done so many projects with him and we still keep doing projects with him. And uh, it's, qu it's quite a bit of fun. That Lexus that he built that Ferris brought over here, I shot a feature on that car. And I feel fortunate to do that because I got the I got free reign to crawl around that car, look at whatever I wanted to take pictures. And they built that all in-house there. Yep. That thing was stunning. Like that is you could have taken all of the tags off of that and told someone that that was built by Jerry Bickle. And they'd been like, Oh yeah, that's definitely a Bickle car. And they don't understand that was completely built in-house over there. And they did an amazing job building that car. Yeah. So they bought um, over the years, literally all the equipment to be able to like service and support and build that whole um, drag racing side of, 
of cars. You know, they, they're not doing it uh, nonstop, but that was um, part of Canoe's vision to, you know, be able to be a lot more self-sustaining. So when you're over there racing or when he needs something, it can get done quickly and uh, efficiently with his, his staff. So he's not having to ship like necessarily cars back to the U S to get repaired or it, built. Yeah. It's anytime you see the racing over there, it's just, it, it's like a childlike innocence. Like they just, they've discovered drag race. And they're like, Oh, I need more of this. And they're like, <laughs> they don't, they don't even like stop it. You know? Oh, it's like a 10 second bracket car. It's like, I want to go really fast. I've got the pocketbook. I'm just going to go buy Stevie fast orange Mustang and we're going to race that. Like it's that level of intensity and I love it. I, I'm all about it. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's crazy. Like, you know, I mean, you've seen some of the biggest names, you know, Shannon Jenkins, Tuttero, you know, these guys go over there all the time, you know, um, you know, huge names here. You'd think they're, you know, as busy as could be here, but they make the time to go over there. You know, so those guys are um, die hard, and I mean, they're willing to spend the money to to be competitive. And it's drag racing, in my opinion, is one of the. It's a great global sport because you can race anything's a race car if you're brave enough. I mean, that's yep. just the way to look at it. And you know, I've done a lot of stories, and I've even you know worked with the people from uh, Santa Pod, and you know, just again, their passion there and the stuff that they do, it's it's really a testament to people that have, they find a way because, you know, they don't have the parts availability we have here. So they, they've got to, you know, they've got to science their way out of stuff. They've got to figure things out. And it's just, it, it's amazing that there's so many people like us like that to exist in the world, maybe terrifying too. I don't know, but it, it's definitely awesome to see. Well, that's the nice thing about, you know, like even like Titan Motorsports or a mail order distributor, you know, like you say, it's really hard to get parts all over the world. Um, and, and a lot of our business is actually shipping international. So um, I, I like that the community has been able to get a lot smaller, but also kind of, you know, bigger as well um, with like the formation, like the Internet and everybody talking. And now like anything on our Copper Supra is available to anybody around the world to purchase, you know, ship it right to your door. So it's pretty wild. Um, none of that was around, you know, when we got started. Yeah, I mean, you, you've been around long enough like me to remember back in the day, it wasn't like, I'll call them credit card cars, where you can go on a Facebook group, ask a question, buy the parts. And if you've got a high enough line of credit, you can build anything your little heart desires. Back in the day, you had to figure this shit out. Yeah, you did. And you had to have multiple credit cards and watch your budget. And yeah, yeah. it was crazy. Borrow some money from your friends and yeah, it, it, it's it's a different world now. Yeah, now you can, you know, even like buy turnkey modded cars and even finance them, you know, like lock, stock and barrel, like it's happening all the time. So it's wild um, what the sports, uh, it's gone from something simple to, you know, so many different um, opportunities for people to get in easily. Yeah, it, it's you know, just even with what the big three are pumping out, you know, I was walking through the Lowe's parking lot the other day. It was one of those new GT, what, 350 or 500 Mustangs. It looks absolutely gorgeous. You could go down to the dealership and be like, I'll take one of those. And it's, yep. you know what, a 10 second car. You go to Dodge dealership. If you really want to get crazy with the cheese whiz and be like, I want that demon looking thing over there. And you're almost running nines. I mean, it's, it's, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. My dad just doesn't even 
like his mind was blown because he grew up back in the day. If you had a 13 second car, you were like, that was unheard of. I'm like a 13 second car. Now, like we're talking about, that's a minivan. Yeah. <laughs> and nowadays, you know, you could call up a company, probably like Titan and be like, you know, I want to build this. And you guys go, well, you'll need this, 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 and this, you know, yep. when do you, when do you want to buy? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what happens. It, it, it delivers to your door. And yeah, you can install it in your garage if you want, or you can obviously, you know, pick a professional to, to do it. It's, it's wild. Yeah, and even more so, you know, I remember another issue back in the day was, uh, you know, all you got to find someone to tune the car now remote tuning, like legit remote tuning, not, you know, you send an ECU back and God knows what they do to it. It's like the dude logs in on teams and on the dyno and tunes, you know, th- you know, like Shane Tecklenburg from a halfway around the world or, you know, a Patrick Barnhill halfway. I've seen Patrick Barnhill at a race in South Georgia, finishing up for the night, tuning Bodie's car in California for a grudge race. That to me is just, that's unreal. Yeah. I mean, it, obviously, you know, that's the beauty of like technology today, but yeah, you can literally like people ask us like, who do you use to tune? And I'm like, it depends on what you're tuning because you know, the guy who can tune a Subaru doesn't necessarily be able to tune a Toyota Supra or a fuel tech, you know, or a hall tech. So depending on like the application, you, we have the ability to get the best guy for that platform, for that application um, to tune the cars remote. I'm, I'm going to throw a curveball at you here. You know, you, you talked about being a, you know, you guys distribute parts, you sell parts, you make your own stuff, you help customers out. Is there any projects in mind that a customers come to you with that are just like that you can talk about that are like mind blowing, the gnarly, like someone that said, you know, I want to put twin LS engines in a Lamborghini, just something ridiculous, which at LS Fest, I saw two or three turbocharged LS Lamborghinis, which made my cold heart smile for the simple fact that, you know, it's the, the ultimate hillbilly slap in the face. Like we're going to take this beautiful Italian design and we're going to put some Merc in it. What are some projects or something you could talk about? Someone's come to you where you're like, oh, that's insane. I love every minute of it. We've had a lot of a lot of crazy requests. I mean, many we turned down. Um, One of the ones we actually did that uh, we always remember. It's it's almost like it was a a blessing and a curse at the same time is we uh, put a two Jay-Z in a prowler. Oh, yeah. Oh, that. that, How many shoehorns did that take? So it's funny because, you know, we measured it out and the engine will fit, you know, it's, it's just a little longer than the V6 that came in it. Um, we're, you know, making the intake manifolds and turbocharger and all of that fit was, was super tight. But what made it so difficult was the cooling because that thing has so little amount of frontal area. Yeah. Um, you know, to be able to put an intercooler and a, ra- and a radiator and all that stuff and keep it cool. Um was extremely difficult you know the funny thing about taking a car that's not supposed to be turbocharged and turbocharging it is that you don't realize how quickly you start running out of real estate you know my fourth gen f body i'm like oh everybody's done this this shouldn't be that that way in a second you know you start you start looking you're like man where am i gonna put this at it, it becomes a game of uh automotive jenga doesn't it oh yeah totally i mean like you know, it, it, we do a lot of these um, R8s and Lamborghinis now on the other side of um, 
things. And yeah, I mean, they're twin turbo. We literally got to pull the whole car apart just about to fit every cooler, you know, the fuel system, the turbochargers. You're retroing the whole car to go from naturally aspirated to turbocharged. So it's pretty wild. I mean, it's obviously a lot more um, entailed in than just modding like, you know, an existing turbocharged car. Yeah, yeah. There's, you have to really have an attention for detail and a certain level of uh, engineering prowess to make sure things are going to fit and uh, you don't create a maintenance nightmare later or, you know, you, you solve one problem and create five more because it's, uh, I think we've all been down that road working on a race car where you think something's going to be absolutely awesome. And then after the end of the day, you're like, oh, well, I've just now, you know, literally painted myself into a corner three different ways. Yep. And it, and with a Lamborghini, it's, that's another one of those cars where I didn't understand how tight the quarters were until I saw the Lamborghini engine sitting beside said Lamborghini. I'm like, you're going to fit that in there. Like, are you a wizard? How does that work? Yeah. Now I like to have fun with my guests. Once again, throw some curveball oh. questions at them. So to close things out here, you know, you have to start a brand new company that's not Titan Motorsports. It could be Schmeiten Motorsports, but it can't be Titan Motorsports and it can't be based around imports at all. What platform are you going to base something around and why are you going to use that platform? So you mean like a, like another company similar to Titan, like selling parts, motorsports? Yeah, selling. yeah. Just It's not in the import world. It, it's, in an ulti, it's in another part of the multiverse where, you know, you have to go exist over there and do it. You know, I mean, I would, the truck market is, has been booming, you know, for the last decade easily. And with, you know, companies like Ford with the Raptor and uh, the TRX out there, um, you know, I think Toyota is going to play in that field a little bit with a, a Tundra, a TRD version of the Tundra. You know, I think that's a great market to be in right now. Um, I would uh, have to consider definitely that, that side of the business. Trucks modded tastefully, let me put that word in there, tastefully modded trucks, correctly modified trucks are amazing. I like, I, I enjoy that's, you know, the, the truck class at Ducks Race, seeing some stuff like, you know, the, the, the old like, you know, mid 90s C1500 Chevy trucks that are lowered with a turbo engine and stuff like that. Yeah, that, that's cool. Of course, you know, we're spoiled nowadays. Like you said, the TRX and the Raptor, again, that's what would you have thought, you know, 10 years ago, we would have stuff like that roaming around the streets openly from a manufacturer? Yeah. Yeah. And they mod super, super easy, super well, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, who, who would have known? You know, you could literally drive an on-road, off-road. It, it, the trucks have come a long way in a very short period of time. I'm a huge fan of the Raptor. I'm just I'm disappointed that GM didn't create something somewhat similar they they missed the boat there for sure and like i said the the seeing those trucks out and seeing some of the the, the truck market out there because the truck guys are not afraid to spend money at no. all when they're building something that's the, they basically are like i want it and let's do it and charge the card yeah li yeah literally and they will I, there's a place here locally that uh i'll give him a shout out brady and his family for pickups plus cars and trucks they do some they get a lot of customers that come in that are, that, that's their mindset, that they're like, I want a truck that's going to do this. It's going to cost it. I don't care what it costs. This is what I want. And then they show back up and they pick it up. That That's a shop stream, right? Yep. 
Well, Nero, our time here is coming to an end on the podcast, Dragzine Podcast. I like to give my guests their opportunity to do all their plugs, you know, channel their inner John Force and thank everybody and just run wild on the show any way they see fit. So the floor is yours, my friend. Thank you. You need to thank. Tell people where they can find more about you and just, you know, what you got going on social media, whatever you need to talk about. Titan Motorsports is on Facebook, Instagram, you know, I don't want to thank our staff. I mean, we have some of the best guys here and girls, you know, like we wouldn't be able to do any of this stuff. I wouldn't be on this podcast if I wasn't for the team that's behind me, Um, you know, and that that goes with our partners too. you know, um, companies like Ferreira been there from the day one. They've sponsored us for 20 years, you know, Precision Turbo, uh, CP, Carrillo um and the list goes on and on arp you know all those teams all those uh, companies um behind it are willing to do whatever they got to do to to help us succeed you know so um we're quite fortunate because of that you know and uh we don't take any of our partnerships or anything uh you know lightly awesome and like i said make sure you check out titan on social media they always got cool stuff they're like i like anything loud fast and dangerous so I'm into imports, domestics. It doesn't matter if it's got an engine and it's going to scare me. I'm, I'm all in. And you guys do some cool stuff. And of course, I've got to thank my sponsors for the show, Performance Distributors, Airflow Research, Pro Charger, Holly, MSD, Flowmaster, Mosier Engineering, Comp Cams, Elderbrock, Fuel Air Spark Technology, Manly, JE Pistons, and Dart. Nero, it was awesome having someone like you on the show. I greatly appreciate you coming on and uh, look forward to seeing you at the track soon. Okay, see you soon.